says he, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. So if we stop there just to kind of give us some perspective. Number one, let's revisit what a tax collector is. Not, not that we have no idea what that means, but in that day, a tax collector obviously was one most likely in, in that uh, area was a Jewish individual who was employed by the Roman government to collect various taxes from the Jewish people for the government for various reasons. They would tax travelers coming through the territory. You know, I'm, I'm sure all of us adults today are very familiar with all the various taxes that we have to pay. Maybe not want to, but we don't. Do we have a mentality towards the IRS today? We do, don't we? Unfortunately, maybe that comes with some choice words or feelings, but we're not going to mention those today. But we have this feeling that, unfortunately, these tax collectors, even back in Jesus' era to today, carry this weight of authority that we don't like because they take our money. <laughs> and we want to keep our money. But even in that day... Uh, Zacchaeus was one of these. But not only that, he was a chief tax collector, which means whatever that meant, he climbed that ranks and, uh, of being a tax collector, had authority. People knew him in and around Jericho, and, and maybe beyond that, we don't know. But he was well-known. And it says he was rich. Now, fortunately, there's a, there's a way that tax collectors in this day got wealthy. Because they were allowed by the Roman government to maybe collect a little more tax from the people that then was actually owed or due. And they were allowed to line their own pockets. So Zacchaeus was one of these. A Jewish individual employed by the Roman government to collect taxes and became extremely wealthy because he would take a little bit more than he should have to line his own pockets. But typically, these tax collectors were hated. And we use that term, hated, by the other Jews. Because they were seen as sellouts. You know, you're, you're a traitor against your own people. Caleb, Caleb, would you mind closing that door? Thanks, buddy. So they were seen as sellouts, having a reputation for cooking the books. As, as, and people knew it. They knew what they were doing. And so they were shunned by society. They were hated. They were despised. In fact, just a little side note, if you guys are familiar with the series The Chosen that's come out in the past few years, great, great show. In fact, they depict Matthew very well in this way. Have you ever watched that series when Jesus calls Matthew, who is a tax collector, which we'll refer to, calls him out, and the other disciples are like, you know, why in the world are you calling him to be a part of our group? He's a tax collector. He's just hated but anyway, so that's kind of how these people are viewed in their position. But he was a chief collector, means he was high in rank, he was well-known, and he was rich. Let's look at verses 3 through 4. It says, And as Jesus was passing through Jericho, says Zacchaeus, as he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. So Zacchaeus, now let's think about this, an adult, 
influential, regardless of how that influence was seen or received, well-known, rich, very high in society now, is doing all he could as an adult rich professional responding to the arrival of Jesus with childlike curiosity. He was acting like a child who's excited about something. I'm not saying he was acting like a child, but it's like a child in the sense of he was doing all he could to see Jesus. Jesus was passing through. At this point in Jesus' ministry, he's extremely popular, extremely well-known, has however many people following him, but yet people knew him so well that people in Jericho were lining the streets just to see him. It was almost like a parade type of scenario. So I want you to kind of catch that vision. So here is Zacchaeus, small in stature. Now, small in stature, just a little side note, could mean that he was relatively young. You could read stature that way, like status. So he could have been relatively young. We don't know. But more often than not, most people say what that refers to is his height. He was a short fella, to which I can relate. Always the one that had to sit in the front row of team pictures. Could never stand in the back. So they always put the tall guys in the back. Hated that. Bummed me out. Or when people would walk up to me and say, hey, can all my friends who were, you know, six foot and six five, all that would come up to me and just put their rest their arms on, on my shoulder, like, what's up, Cam? And look down, and how you doing down there? Kind of stuff. So I always blame my father. Pardon you for being short. And your father for being short. You've cursed us. You know, as an athlete, you just want to be tall. You want to have all this height. But regardless, I want you to imagine the scene here for a minute. Clamoring to see Jesus. Doing all he could. You can even maybe imagine the streets are lined because Jesus is coming through and the crowds are following. So Zacchaeus seeking to know, wanting to find out who he was, wanting to see Jesus. Could you imagine him just kind of trying to find a gap in the crowd to kind of work his way through? Maybe trying to you know bend down even lower or, or whatever else to kind of see Jesus or could maybe even get the picture of him just kind of hopping up and down, <laughs> trying to see over people, like just, just to catch a glimpse. This is what he's trying to do, but he finally decides, I can't see him here on, on this level. So he runs, Scripture says. He runs ahead, finds a tree, climbs the tree just to get a glimpse, just to see Jesus. This is an adult man who was wealthy, a professional. You see how he's responding to Jesus? Like a child, clamoring to do all he could. Just to see Jesus. We may even get the sense of the people who knew Zacchaeus. Wasn't he well known as a chief tax collector? Do you think maybe as he was clamoring to kind of get a glimpse of Jesus and look through, maybe trying to, you know, hey, excuse me, excuse me, let me, I'm going to see as well. Do you think they just willingly let him view? Do you think they were kind of throwing elbows like, get out of here, little man? Pushing him aside, shutting him because of how they felt about his role and what he did, kind of really sense the scene of what's going on. But he climbed that tree. Here's what I want to do. Flip back one page and go to Luke chapter 18. I want to read something because I think it's important given the context of what we're talking about. In Luke chapter 18, 
verses 15 through 17. Prior to this event, Jesus is telling a story. He tells a parable of the persistent widow, and, and then he tells a parable of a Pharisee and a tax collector. But then just after that, Jesus gives a little rebuke to the people. Because everybody's clamoring to see Jesus, and they even want to bring their children to him. And he, he mentions that people, even his disciples, are, are keeping the children from seeing Jesus because they're not important in that day. And Jesus is more important and has too much time in his ministry to, to deal with these kids. But Jesus rebukes them. And in verse 17 of chapter 18, he says what? Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. I want you to hear that because I think that's very important to our conversation today. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it. So what does that mean? That a child is humble. Now listen, not humble in the sense of an adult who maybe has some pride, who needs to humble themselves. No, a humble child is because they are completely dependent on everybody else for all that they need. You hear me? That's the humility of a child. They are fully dependent on other people to care for them. As a child, you need somebody else to teach you how to even talk. To model that for you, how to, how to walk. You realize that you model for your children how to even walk and they, they mimic that in time. How to talk, how to dress themselves, how to eat, how to eat properly, how to act, how to do everything to provide for that child. How many parents in this room can, can say that they've been dependent upon their child to provide something for them? Not at all except some stories that provide you humor because of what they would do as a child. But the point is, a child, no offense to any of the kids in this room or, or that may see this, but you have nothing to offer to your parents, do you? Nothing. At some point, you don't pay bills. You don't, you don't work to provide. You don't, you don't buy food for your parents to eat, at least not at a child level. Maybe later in life, that, that circle of life comes around, you should take care of your parents, but right now, children have nothing to offer. They're completely dependent. But yet, at every moment, they are ready to receive anything given to them. Right? At any moment, they feel like, think about Christmas Day, think about birthdays, think about dinner time. They are ready to receive whatever is given to them. In fact, just yesterday, this came to mind, I was... I played just a, a, a small prank on my son. Went and picked him up and, and brought him home from, from the skate park last night and walk in and I said, there's a little surprise for you. And he went, what? What? Surprise? And you, you see his mind is just turning like, well, it's not my birthday, it's not, it's not Christmas, it's, I don't know, why would there be a surprise for me? And he said, just come on. He said, what is it, what is it? And he walked in and I said, me, your father. He's like, are you serious? <laughs> but he was ready to receive something. And I said, he's like, no, dad. And he kept going. He's persistent. He said, no, what, what is it? What do you mean a su surprise? So I said, come on. And he walked into the living room. I said, there's your mom. There's your sister. He's like, oh. 
But he had that readiness, like, oh, there's a surprise, there's something for me, even though I let him down big time because my presence wasn't enough for my own son. I love you. But there's a readiness to receive. You see what Jesus is saying? That you cannot inherit the kingdom of God unless you receive it like a child. Not immature, but humble, dependent, knowing you cannot give anything to the Lord to earn that favor. So we see here how Zacchaeus, in what he was doing to prepare to see Jesus, how he was readying himself for what was about to happen. Maybe, just a little side note, maybe as a chief tax collector, maybe he knew of other tax collectors in the territory. I'm not saying there's proof to this, but just something to think about. You think maybe he had heard of or knew of Matthew? Maybe. And yet here is Matthew, a former tax collector, sinner, somebody who was hated, now in close connection to this Jesus. Jesus received this tax collector and invited him into discipleship. And Zacchaeus is saying, hey, who is this Jesus that accepts people like Maybe, like I said, there's, there's nothing that we can read that proves any of that, but it's just a, just a thought. In fact, I, I, I want to remind us that this was a common occurrence for Jesus, wasn't it, in his ministry? You go back to, you don't have to turn there, but in Mark chapter 2, after Jesus had called Levi, was his name, where he'd become known as Matthew, it says, as in Mark 2, 15, as he reclined at the table at Matthew's house, many many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples for there were many who followed him. So maybe by chance word had gotten to Zacchaeus and the others that this Jesus accepts people like me because do you think Zacchaeus knew how the people viewed him? Do you think he heard how people talked about him? I think so. Do you think that weighed on him at all? Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. Verses 5 through 6 of Luke 19. So Zacchaeus is up in the tree, and when Jesus had come to that place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Catch anything in that? Jesus knew him. Maybe knew him from before. I don't know. But what I pull out of this is in his, in Jesus' divine sovereignty, he stops and he looks up and he sees Zacchaeus and he calls him by name. wasn't walking along going, oh, look, there's a little short man in a tree. No, it goes way beyond that, doesn't it? Calls him by name and then invites him down. Says, I'm going to stay at your house today. 
I've taken advantage of other people. Now I'm a criminal, a sinner. And yet here is this Jesus, this great man, is inviting me down because he wants to come to my house. So once ignored by his peers, Jesus noticed and looked at him. Once hated by his neighbors and probably called many a different name catch my drift. Jesus called him by his given name. Once shunned by his neighbors and never invited into friendship. Being Zacchaeus probably lived a, a lonely life, didn't he, in his community? Jesus asked him to come near, into relationship. And once lonely, Jesus wanted to go to his house and hang out with him. I want us to remember what scripture tells us in Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. God knows us. He wants to be with us. So we are never ignored. We're never hated. We're never shunned. We are never, ever alone. Because if we can look beyond the circumstances of our situation or what's going on and we look to God he is right there what does it say in John chapter 10 verse 3 Jesus speaking the sheep hear his voice he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out so here the, the good shepherd the great shepherd walking through stops and looks up and says that Quickly, come on down. So as quickly as Zacchaeus ran up into that tree, Jesus says, quickly, hurry, come on down. We're going to have a meal together. In Christ, he knows us all intimately. And in Christ, we belong. So how did Zacchaeus respond? With immediacy. Right? Immediacy. Probably flew down that tree faster than he got up into it. It's how we should all respond to the call of Christ. <clears throat> Zacchaeus immediately felt what he had been seeking. He immediately felt what he had been wanting. Which is what? What do all of us, regardless of our circumstance, regardless of our status in life, regardless of how much money you make or how, much, how little we make, Regardless of how many friends we have, both online or off, what do we seek? What do we desire as humans? Intimate, close relationship. It's how we're built. It's in our DNA, God-given DNA, that we want to belong. We want to be valued. We want to be loved, accepted. Don't we? Play it off though, it's like I don't need all that. I don't need you know people, I don't need all that. But deep inside, deep inside, we know the reality of, of what we are really desiring. All of that, all of that comes through our Savior. See, Zacchaeus, even he was never able to satisfy that deep longing in his status as a chief tax collector, in his work and what he did or even his wealth 
there was still something more he desired. That's what we see in here, right? Would we do all that we can do to see Jesus? He's not going to pass us by. He's not going to ignore us. When we come to the realization that he is all that we need, he is everything that we've been looking for in relationship, he's going to respond. In fact, reading through this story of Zacchaeus, it reminded me of a very similar story. One of my favorite stories in scripture. Again, found in Mark chapter 2. We went through this long ago when we studied the Gospel of Mark, but in Mark, at the beginning of Mark chapter 2, we see the story of the paralytic and his friends that, that did everything they could possibly do to get their paralytic friend or neighbor or whoever he was to them to the feet of Jesus. To the point of destroying somebody's roof. <laughs> tearing apart the roof to lower him down. Doing all that they could do to get their friend to the feet of Jesus because they knew what Jesus could do for him. And how did Jesus respond? Remember how he responded? And when they could, got, could not get near him because of the crowd. Does that sound familiar? They removed the roof above him. Zacchaeus could not see him because of the crowd. So what did he do? Climbed a tree just to see him. And when they had made the opening, they let him down on the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. A lot of similarity in these two stories. But in Zacchaeus' case, he climbed that tree just to see Jesus. But our, our, I hope what we're getting is this was more than just a curiosity as to what Jesus may have looked like. Are we seeing that? Are we sensing that? Sometimes we, we kind of wonder, we hear about somebody or somebody famous, and we, we maybe Google them and go, oh, that's what they look like. Or if you, I don't know, this is my thing, and I'm just going to lay out a little piece of, of, of me. If I, if I watch a, an animated cartoon or a movie or something, I'm like, that voice sounds really familiar. So I get on Google, and I look up the cast list. I know I'm the only one that does this. And I go, who is that voice? Curious, and so I find the cast list, and I thought, oh, it's that, that guy. Okay, I'm good. Now I can, I can kind of see him talking through the, the animation. I'm, I'm weird like that. But the point is, this, what Zacchaeus is doing, goes way beyond just a curiosity as to, <clears throat> what does this Jesus look like? It's deeper than that, isn't it? He didn't need to climb a tree. He could have just caught a vision and went, oh, okay, that's him. Going back to work. But he didn't do that, did he? This was not just trying to see what Jesus looked like. This was, I want to know this man. I desire to see this man. Because there's something about him that I want to be near. When Jesus invited him in, we, we get that understanding. Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 says, Behold, Jesus speaking, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone hears my voice, it opens the door. I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. What a beautiful picture of what we read in Revelation as to what we're seeing in this story of Zacchaeus. Jesus stopped, recognized him. Jesus simply stood at the door. But it was up to Zacchaeus to do what? Respond. Open that door. 
and welcome Jesus in. Receive Christ into his life. Verse 7 of Luke 19. Oh, excuse me. Before we get to verse 7, I'll, well, what else was, was Zacchaeus' response? He not only responded, he didn't come flying down the tree. What does it say? Zacchaeus received him joyfully. The reason I came back to that is because it's important for us to understand that. When we receive Christ, it should bring us joy. That despite everything that's gone on, despite the hatred and the, and the, the shunning by his own people, despite the sin that he knew, the, the corruption, the, the, the criminality of his job and what he was doing, all that disappeared in Christ and he received him joyfully. Joy became the mark of Zacchaeus' life. And it should ours as well. And in Christ there is joy. Psalm 144 verse 15 Blessed or happy, as we can read it, are the people whose God is the Lord. Now, verse 7. And when they saw it, all the other people, they grumbled. Has he gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner? The crowd gets angry. And how many times have we seen this through Jesus' ministry? Because they saw Zacchaeus as an outcast, a sinner, a sellout. Yet Jesus chose him. They were blind to themselves. They were just trying to be around Jesus, not follow Jesus. Big difference, isn't there? Were they more special or deserving than him? No, because they weren't clamoring to seek out Jesus. There was no desire. It was just, a, this guy's pretty popular. Let's get a glimpse of who this guy is. Maybe we'll hear about or see one of these miracles that he's done before. They kind of fell into the trap of the Pharisees. In verses 8 through 9, we read that Zacchaeus stood once in the house and communing with Christ. He stands up and says to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today, Salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. So let's, let's take a look. What is, how does Zacchaeus respond? With excitement, with hurry, with joy, and now what? He confesses his sin. I've done wrong. I cannot stand and be in the presence of this Jesus and not expose and speak to the wrong that I've done. He admits his wrongdoing. He confesses it before who? What does he call Jesus? His Lord. You know what that means? Submission. This is not just a prophet. This is not just an important guy. Not just a, 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 a well-spoken teacher. He calls Christ his Lord. And I am now your servant. It was in this moment of response that Zacchaeus receives salvation. 
But let's clarify that he was saved by grace through his faith in Christ. Not because of what he claimed he was going to do to make things right. Are you hearing me? Zacchaeus did not receive salvation in Christ because he claimed he was going to make things right. No, he received salvation because of God's grace. He was forgiven. But Zacchaeus takes it one step further. He shows humility to do everything he could to rectify his wrongdoing. By saying what? If I have defrauded anyone of anything. Now, is he just guessing? No. He is a chief tax collector. A financier. Who has probably kept very clear-cut record of all the finances collected from all the people. There are records of names and how much they gave. Do you think Zacchaeus had record of how much more he took from these specific individuals? Absolutely he did. What is he saying he's going to do? He's going to fix that. Because he was so wealthy, he could go back and fulfill to the fullest extent of the law that was provided. He said, half of my goods I'll not only give to the poor, but I will also restore to all those that I have stolen from fourfold. He was so ecstatic to be in the presence of Christ. Recognizing the wrong that he did, he was going to go to the nth degree to make sure that was fixed. And then did he say, hopefully people will accept me again? No. Because it wasn't about anybody else again at that point. He had received everything he needed in Christ. I want you to turn back one more time to chapter 18. In context, Jesus had also told the story. Of a, not just told a story. This wasn't a parable. This was, a, this was an experience. That Jesus was approached by a rich ruler. Could have very well been another tax collector. Somebody who made a lot of money. But he had status and he had wealth. And if we remember the story after Jesus telling that in Luke 18, he says, I've kept all these commandments. What else do I need to do to receive salvation? And Jesus looked at him and said, go and sell everything you have and come follow me. And what response did this rich ruler give? He put his head down and he walked away because he was holding his wealth a status symbol and put more trust in the love of his money than in fellowship and discipleship and love for Christ. And Jesus says these words in Luke 18, 25, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. But please remember, there is nothing wrong with having money. Money goes a long way for the kingdom of God. It's not having money. It's the love of that money. Idolizing that material wealth or things. We place those above who God is. Remember what we're told in 1 John 1, 
verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What did Zacchaeus do? He received Christ and confessed his sin. And at that moment, he received salvation. But again, Zacchaeus took it a step further. I'm going to repay. I'm going to respond and do what Christ calls me to do. In James chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Zacchaeus repaying his debts was not salvation. That was his faith in action. Doing what he needed to do, regardless of the response he may have received from the people. But Jesus recognized his faith, his obedience, his humility to make things right. So I want to refer to one more story from Luke 18. Jesus told story of a Pharisee and a tax collector. And both of these individuals, the Pharisees, supposed religious elite of the day, going to the temple to pray. A tax collector doing the same. And the Pharisee would stand in all his, as it's called, phylactery and all his beautiful robes and garments, making himself known, lifting up his voice as loud as possible, speaking probably the most beautiful, verbose, religious terminology in prayer to be seen by men. And yet the tax collector, sinner, shunned by society and hated, stood off to the side, head down, in humility, praying. And Jesus responded to the sinner, to the tax collector, and said what? I tell you in verse 14, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Guys, if I can say anything, is there's so much importance to the context of the word of God. Here Jesus told these parables about prayer and humility, about wealth and the kingdom of God about children receiving the kingdom of God. And then what does Jesus provide everybody who's following me? A beautiful, practical, real example of all he just taught you in the person of Zacchaeus. How cool is that? So Jesus refers to him as the son of Abraham. So just remember, just to clarify that, he wasn't referring to Zacchaeus' genealogy as a Jew and the uh, descendant of Abraham. It wasn't about that. Because what did we read and what have we talked about recently? That Abraham was counted righteous because of what? His faith. Genesis 15 verse 6 says that he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteous. So Zacchaeus was counted righteous before the Lord for his faith and obedience. Here is what I want to conclude with today and focus in on that is going to be the center point of what we talk about for the next few weeks. Verse 10 of chapter 19. It says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save 
Jesus came to seek and save, there's those words, the lost. This is so important for us to understand. This is why Jesus came. This is why he came. He came to seek out and bring salvation to sinners, just like you, just like me. We're told elsewhere in Scripture that Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. We read that in Matthew. He says in John 10, the second half, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. <clears throat> Excuse me. Paul would later say, to, as he was writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is why he came. This focus of everything that we live our life for is all about salvation, not our works. Let me call you to the, the, the sinner on the cross, who in, the, in his final moments of breath on this earth, one was immediately rebuking Jesus and, 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 and grounding against him, just like all those on the ground were, but there was something that happened he came to the realization of who Christ was. And at that moment, he said, remember me. And Jesus looked at him and said, today you will be with me in paradise. It is not about our works. It is not about what we do. It is about salvation in the name of Jesus. Period. That's what this is all about. That's what this season, this Easter season, is all about. It's salvation. Because that's why Jesus came. To seek and save the lost. Romans chapter 3, I want to make this very clear. Romans 3 verses 10 and 11 says, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. No one seeks for God. But yet, Zacchaeus was seeking out Jesus. We're told in Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 12 and 13, for those that seek the Lord, right? God knows the plans he has for you. Not plans to, to harm you, but to, to give you a future and a hope for those that seek God and his ways. But yet here Romans is telling us that no one seeks God because you know what? In our unrighteousness, in our sinful ways, in our, in our lost ways, we think we're good enough, we're, we're prideful enough and arrogant enough to say, I can live my life on my own. And when we're in that situation, we're not thinking about God. We're not trying to go after God because if we go after God, we realize we are not enough. And we need something more. We need to be a part of something greater than ourselves. Or, so sinners in their depravity don't seek God. But those that do, like Zacchaeus, in his final moments of saying, I'm done with life, I, I just can't handle this anymore, I need something more than, than wealth and status, I need to know who this Jesus is. That's when we can seek the Lord. But remember, God himself was the one that sought us out from the very beginning. The moment sin entered this world through Adam, God was seeking us. We read that in Genesis chapter 3. 
It says, But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where were you? <clears throat> From the very beginning, God was seeking man in his depravity, in his declivity, in his sinful ways. God said, I want a relationship with you. That's why I created you. But it was man and sin that says, I need to hide from God. Because I understand who I am and I can't be in his presence in this way. From the moment man ushered sin into the world, God has sought us out to bring us back into relationship. We read in Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 11, says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. I will seek the lost and I will bring them back. I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. It is God who seeks us out. In fact, in the most famous passage in Scripture, in all the Bible, it's held up at football games. John 3, 16. God was seeking us out. For God so loved the world that he what? Sent his only son to do what? Seek us out and bring salvation to our lives. That's why Jesus would claim in John 10, I am the good shepherd. And in Luke 15, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost? Until he finds it, and when he has found it, he lays it on its shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. You see why it's important to receive the kingdom of God with humility, with childlike faith, because otherwise we feel we're so arrogant and don't need help. And I know we've all been in that situation in life where we, we, we go into the, the routine of our life saying, I got this. I'm in control. I can handle this. I'll take care of this. I'll figure this out. I, 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 I. But until we stop that nonsense and realize we need Realize we need God in our life because he has everything that we need. Only then will we find the joy that only he can provide. You know, in the story of Zacchaeus, he might have been a wee little man, but what does Romans tell us about all of us, regardless of our height, regardless of our stature? Romans 3.23, for all fall short. We're all short. We're all small in stature. Because we have walked away. We have separated ourselves from the Lord. He's never walked away from you. He doesn't turn his back on you. He's been seeking us from the beginning of time. We think we can find contentment and satisfaction in the people and the things of this world. 
getting caught up in the stuff that this world throws at us. Get distracted by what's happening and, and lose sight of who God is. It's only until we come to the realization of who Christ is, we realize there is nothing in this world that can take his place. But you need to understand that Jesus is not far from you. He hasn't walked away. He hasn't turned his back. And if I can leave you with this, Scripture makes it very clear. I know we're going to stay away from our study in Acts, but I'm going to go to Acts to make this point clear. In Acts chapter 17, verse 27, and I'll leave it at this. That they should seek God. They is us. That we should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is not far from us. We need to open our eyes. We need to open our mind, open our heart to realize nothing in this world satisfies. And that's the gospel message of salvation, of hope, of joy, of acceptance, of belonging, of relationship, of love. And if you have found that and you have received Christ, then that is the message you give away. By your life, by your words, by your invitation to others, Say, come, seek God with me. Come find out who he is. Because we might know people who are at the end of their rope. They're just trying to hang on to something. But only until they decide to let that go will they find Christ. God will not accept the arrogant. He's not going to accept the he accepts those who understand who he is, what he, he can offer, his love, his grace, his salvation, because he is the one that has come.